Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hi, everyone. This is Kathy Barrett, and I'm the host of Behind the Curtain, a show about life and how we navigate down the not-so-yellow-brick road of it. My guest today is David Takaru, and he is a member of the uh, Miccosoo Cree First Nation of Fort McMurray, Canada. David will be sharing his amazing story of survival about how he overcame his battle with leukemia. His story is documented in the book, Bad to the Bone, The True Story of David Takaru, and it's written by Marilla Scott, a multi-award winning author and motivational speaker who is also Oprah's Ambassador of Hope. For more information about David, you can go to his website that is spelled D-A-V-I-D-T-U-C-C-A-R-O dot com. You can purchase his book, Bad to the Bone, there or on Amazon.com where it is a bestseller. So please welcome David. It is such a pleasure to have you on the program today, and thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you so very much for giving me this incredible opportunity to share my story with you and your audience. I appreciate it. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. I read your book. I loved it. And uh, first, let's start out by uh, sharing, you know, the the program goes all around the world, but I just uh, want, if you can, uh, explain to people who are the Miccosoo Crew First Nation people. The Miccosoo Cree First Nation is my band, uh, my tribal band that I come from in Fort Chippewan, Alberta. And they have um, been a band for, can you tell us a little bit about the history? Uh, yeah, um, the, the Miccosoo Cree goes way back, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, settlers, you know, the first settlers of the land. And... Um, after you know the uh, the people immigrated from uh, Europe, then they kind of started giving us you know bad names, and we started kind of affiliating ourselves with tribe names, and uh, that's kind of where we got the Miccosoo Cree First Nation from. Okay, and so uh, from you know how you uh, write about Fort McMurray in the book, it sounds quite beautiful where you r- grew up, and so it isn't. It isn't. I it mean, is, it, it is, and go ahead. Place, but it's just so cold there. It is just so too cold up there, you know. I mean, uh, it, it gets to like the coldest I've ever seen. It was minus fifty nine degrees Celsius, and oh. yeah, I, I don't. That was just too much for me, you know. It's just way too cold up there. Well, it, it's. I could feel your pain when you were out there talking about, uh, you know, stacking that firewood. Oh yeah. After a blizzard, it did. Whew, it did uh, really sound quite torturous, but um, but also, you know, physically beautiful. So uh, it it just reminded me a lot of uh, certain places in America, and um, being in that kind of environment is also very healing. So let's talk about your battle with leukemia. You were diagnosed with stage three in 2006. You were 25 at the time. Yep. Yes. So let's talk about, why don't you describe your situa- your health situation and, and how it was impacting the body. Okay, well, leading up to that point, you know, I was pretty healthy. You know, I got up, went to work, went to sleep. That was it. You know, I didn't lead much of a life other than going to work. I, I was a very introverted person. And then 
And Christmas Eve 2006 is when I was told I had leukemia. And, you know, the warning signs leading up to that were, you know, extreme fatigue, nausea, hemorrhaging, uh, vomiting, and just, you know, like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't get up to go get a glass of water without having to rest for about three hours just to get my energy back. Mm. So there was a lot of warning signs there that I should have picked up on, but I just never did. And let's just explain to the folks, leukemia is basically a malignant progressive disease in which the bone marrow and other blood-forming organs produce increased numbers of immature and uh, ab- abnormal uh, leukocytes. And these suppress the production of normal blood cells, basically, which leads to anemia and, and other complications with the, with the body. Now, uh, and so how long did you have those symptoms before you were actually diagnosed? About a good six to seven weeks, you know. It, it was there, it, for sure six weeks. But I'm not sure if it was, you know, a bit longer than that. But um, I remember we buried my grandfather uh, November 12th, uh, uh, 2006. And I remember that day getting a sharp stabbing pain on my left side. It was like a hot, burning knife just repeatedly stabbing me in my side. And I believe that was kind of my first indication that I've, I should have gotten checked out, that, that that was kind of the beginning of it. But from there, you know, like I said, I didn't get it checked out. I, I did go see a doctor. But, you know, we, we both, I kind of attributed it to having ulcers, and mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, went with an ulcer plan for me, and, you know, that was it. But I was, you know, kind of realizing the pantalock wasn't working for me, and I'm still hemorrhaging out. I'm still, you know, throwing up blood and just all kinds of stuff. You know, it was just really horrible. And um, it was December 23rd at, at about 10 p.m. when I was approached by my mom and sister when they said, look, David, we're either going to call you an ambulance or we're going to take you down to the hospital ourselves. And, and I'm a very introverted person, so I said, just take me down. I don't want to cause a scene. Aww. So they brought me down to the hospital, and at which point, you know, I had already spiked a massive fever. So they instantly admitted me to bring the fever down. And then from there, um, and then from there, they, uh, you know, they did a series of blood draws. And, uh, you know, my blood kept getting progressively worse, so they attributed to acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which I was diagnosed with uh, at uh, 2 a.m. on Christmas Eve. Oh, nice. That's yeah. not the kind of news anyone wants to get. And then things got progress- went progressively downhill very quickly from there, uh, yes, correct? Absolutely. Yes. And at one point in the book, and it's in the very beginning of the book, um, I was so taken with this as well, is that a spiritual counselor comes into your hospital room to give you your last rites. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you kind of politely turn to her and ask her to leave the room. And I quote, I'm writing, uh, you say, I decided that I would be the one to determine when it was time to give up. What was that like for you to all of a sudden everything's okay, six weeks you start to be you know, feeling under the weather, and then you're faced with death, like, very quickly how how did you handle that well yeah that's that's kind of a tough question there because when you're told you're going to die you expect to die Mm. you know and i was told four times in three days that i was going to die so for me it was okay well when do i expire and then um that's when this lady came in and was gonna you know what kind of faith are you do you want to you know do some no i don't get out of here you know i'm not about to die you mean who are you get out you know like leave me alone so you know i I was polite about it but you know for me it was just like kind of uh giving up sort of thing and i wasn't about to do that just then so talk about a little bit which i love that you shared in the book as well is that you know 
courageously you share your emotional journey throughout, you know, what was happening prior to you being diagnosed. And you speak about feeling like an outsider within the family and, and about the internal sadness and loneliness you carried growing up. Can you talk a little bit about that for the audience? Because many people are out there feeling that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, um, I was very inadequate in that, you know, my father was a very successful businessman and, you know, he had his own goals, but I I was taking his goals as what I was supposed to be doing. So when he had his bar set really high, it was even higher for me and I would never be able to obtain it. So it, it was really kind of demoralizing for me that, you know, I'm not able to achieve what my father's achieving. But the thing is, is he was giving me all the tools that I needed to do it for myself to be my own person to excel in what it is that I wanted to do, but I, I just kept thinking, you know, what it is he did, monetary value and all that kind of stuff that is what I needed to add up to. So that caused a, caused a lot of inadequacies in me. Was it just you feeling that about yourself? Did you feel yeah. the community also kind of looked at it that way, or what was it was just you internally? It was me internally, but also, you know, I, I felt like it was a community as well, because I was kind of raised by the community. Everybody knew who my dad was, and no matter where I went, people told my dad where I was and what I was doing. So it was like being raised by the community as well. So it, it was like everybody. So it's kind of like when when we're all kind of forming, you know, uh, we we tend to try to compare ourselves to other people and then automatically make ourselves wrong for who we are when we're not really understanding who we are yet a lot of those yeah. times. So So who was David? Let's get in touch with that. Who was David? David was a very quiet, introverted person who had no real purpose in life, was just kind of getting by, you know. And it it took something real major to shake up his core to, Mm. you know, get to where it was he needed to be in life. So basically, this illness coming into your life, um, you know, was a very tragic thing, but but there was a kind of, quote, silver lining to it in that you kind of had an emotional transformation from what... Absolutely. So can you talk a little to that to share with people? Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, it it was being enlightened that, you know, I was given a second chance to live and and that, you, you know, some people aren't this fortunate and... For me, it's about giving back and helping people, you know, maybe creating their own success stories to where, you know, they've survived something major too. And it's about, you know, just encouraging people to, you know, be selfless in donating, you know, bone marrow so that other people can live. So there's a lot that goes with this, but it all goes around the same thing, which is giving back, you know, and really just helping others. It's interesting that uh, you also write in the book, when there was no hope, you speak of your father's unwavering positive attitude, yep. despite the fact that there was no solution really, you know, available to you guys uh, for your situation. And you write, and I quote, Dad managed to convince me that this, meaning everything I had to endure, is what was supposed to happen so I could get better, and I believed him. And that's a really important point I feel to bring up is that many times there there is no hope in situations or what appears to be no hope in a situation but if we kind of like give in to that you know and go in that direction then there very well you know will be no hope but the fact that you stayed positive and you had support around you saying you know made you believe that you could be positive despite the fact you're on heavy duty medications and in a lot of pain and not feeling well, you know, that kind of was a foundation for you to stand on. 
Absolutely it was. So let's talk about giving back for a second because I know this is part of your mission and uh, your intention is to raise uh, awareness out there about uh, bone marrow um, donors. So can we talk a little to that? Let's share what your experience was. How did that help you in your disease battling? Well, you know, getting the bone marrow transplant is what kind of made everything better. And, you know, it's what saved my life in the end because um, my bone marrow wasn't producing the way it should have been. So getting this life-saving bone marrow transplant is, is what was needed. And then what, um, can you share the story about how that came, you know, how you, how you uh, they found a match for your bone marrow? Uh, it was actually someone out of the country. It was a gentleman from Germany that became a match yeah, so- for you. What, what happened there was the doctors had come into my room and said, you know, we, we're at the kind of the last straw now, and we have to give you a bone marrow transplant. So we've gone to the Canadian registry, the provincial registry, and we can't find anybody. So now, you know, it's up to up to God's hand, and um, it's in God's hand, and you know, we have to pray for a miracle here. But you're now in the world registry. So. I didn't really know what that meant at the beginning, but later on, you know, it's like you have to, you know, get somebody from somewhere in the world to donate. For me, that was like, okay, that that's kind of a hopeless feeling, you know, like somebody yeah. in the world has to donate. But, you know, the doctor came back about, I think, a week or two later and said, you know what, we don't have one but two matches for you, so now it's a matter of choosing your own blood type. So, you know, I, I went with that, and um, I, I just felt so incredibly blessed that there was two genetic DNA matches for me out there. And what, what you went on to meet your donor uh, yes. years afterwards. What was that experience like for you? It was surreal. It was absolutely the most amazing feeling I've ever had in my life, you know. Uh, I was a stood at LAX, and there's this big yellow line that says, big bold letters, do not cross. And I am stood there for about four hours because I was waiting for him to come through customs, and then he finally comes up, he points at me, so I kind of drop my sign, kind of run run through the yellow line, give him uh-huh. a big hug. And, and I expected the security guards to be kind of, you know, a bit aggressive about it, but no, they didn't care. They saw my sign, and they saw what was happening, and they just kind of let it happen, you know. So I was really thankful that, you know, they did let that happen because sometimes, you know, they can be funny like that, you know. But they were really cool about it, and, you know, just, just for meeting him right there and then, it was like I had so many questions my main one was, why did you decide to do it, you know? And, he, you know, he gave me the story and why. And then I said, so when it came to them asking you to donate to me, why why did you say yes? And he's like, well, because, I mean, I, you know, why wouldn't I want to save a life, you know? It, he, the way, his answer was just so humbling. And, and it was just, you know, the most generous answer that was possible, and that was he just wanted to save a life. He just wanted to help somebody that needed it. And, you know, from there I just... We've been like the best of friends ever since then. We've been, we talk every day now, and it's just incredible. That's a beautiful story, and the and the reason yeah. that his awareness was there was because there was a family member, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yes. Yeah. So he wasn't a match for the family member, but still wanted to give back. And then that's kind of where I came into play. <laughs> and then you know they got a hold of him and they said. There's a young man in Canada, 25 years old, that could use your bone marrow. Would you like to donate? Of course I'd like to donate. Give it to him, you know. But the reason why I chose his blood type was because, you know, through this whole thing, I needed to just stay positive and in a good mind frame. Well, you know, Christian's blood type was B positive. 
So for me, that was a sign <laughs> that I needed to choose that blood type, you know? I love so that. my blood type went from O negative to B positive. <laughs> that's, good. that's perfect. That's, <laughs> yeah. I think that's an excellent move. Wise I, I do too. I, I just thought that was perfect. The icing on the cake, the, you know, it was just, it was just the best possible scenario. I mean, everything was just going, you know, in, in my direction this, at this point, like, Everything was just coming up day for me, and I was just so happy about that. And how long did it take after the transplant for you to, you know, uh, become to feel better? Well, it actually, you have to stay in hospital for 100 days. Mm. <clears throat> for 100 days, and that's just to make sure that, you know, within those 100 days, your bone marrow doesn't, your bone marrow transplant doesn't reject. Okay. And that's just, from what I'm told, standard everywhere. Uh, so I was in the hospital for 100 days, and then when I got out, it was, you know, like starting over again. You know, I just I felt incredible. And then from there, it was looking forward to the one-year anniversary, and then from there to the two-year anniversary, and then from there to the five-year anniversary, you know, because after five years is when the doctors say you're, you're technically, and I quote with my fingers, mm-hmm. cancer-free. You know, that's kind of when you're in remission and you're, you know, smooth sailing is after five years. So I, I didn't, you know, I wanted to wait until my five years was up before I started doing this book to make sure that everything would be okay. Sure. And, you know, I, I just needed to make sure that I was in that spot and in that right mind frame to do this. So I needed to wait till you know, my five years was up and then I started to go towards the book and then, you know, get people to start donating bone marrow and to, re- to realize that it's not a painful process but a very painless process. So let's talk a little bit about that. Can you share with with us and the audience out there what the process is like? Oh, absolutely. You know, before, you know, the, the notion is that it's a very painful process, and it's just not the case anymore. With technology coming as far as it has, you know, before they would have to aspirate from your hip, yes, it was painful, very painful. But now it's as simple as getting a needle in one arm and then a needle in your other arm. And what it does is it takes the blood out, puts it into a machine, and it shakes your platelets in your blood and your bone marrow, keeps your bone marrow, puts your platelets in your blood back into you so you're not losing any blood. And like I said, it's very painless now. And I, I, I'm just trying to get the word out there that, you know, it's not what it used to be where, you know, it was really a painful process. And, you know, it's just i got to get people to stop thinking like that now. So that's what the whole mission is of what I'm doing is to get people to donate and to know that it's very painless. And that's it. That's the entire process. And they put it, you know, in a, a case. They shipped it out to, well, you were in yeah. Los Angeles at the time. The no, I was up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the time. Okay. So they shipped I, it to, I, go ahead. Yeah, they shipped it, they shipped it from Germany um, over to Vancouver. And, and it was just like getting a blood transfusion. You know, they kind of hang the blood up in the air and you kind of lie down and they run it really slow. So for, the, for me, the first hour and a half was just like any normal blood transfusion. I'm laughing and joking with people. And then all of a sudden, it got really weird. My, my vision kind of went to like a very, very pinpoint where I couldn't see anything. Wow. My hearing got so magnified that I could hear a pin drop like a thousand yards away. And, and my whole body just started convulsing and I started getting really cold. And the only thing I really remember throughout this process was asking for warm, hot blankets. You know, because in the hospitals, they give you the hot blankets. And, and for me, I had about 17 of those on me because I couldn't get warm enough. I was just so, so cold. And uh, it, it was just a very surreal experience. But at the same time, it was kind of like being reborn, if you will, you know? Mm. So it was almost like, the, the, you know, all of that pain and disease was exiting your body. 
having an impact on you. Uh, yeah, in a way, absolutely. It was yeah. like that. Wow. So I, I'm really surprised myself because I thought also that it would be a far more um, time and labor-intensive process to become a bone marrow donor. I didn't realize that's it. It's just, you know, two injections and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and not only that, like they give you medication to kind of build up your bone marrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're not going to, you know, you don't really feel much from that. You know, some people might feel a bit of a cold-like symptoms, but it's really not that bad. And, you know, once, you know, I've been told that once, you know, you start getting, doing the bone marrow donation, you feel instantly better right away. Ah, so it's like karma coming right back at you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I like that, too. So let's talk about where people can go to find out more information. I want to, you know, tell them your your website and uh, what you were sharing with me earlier. Sorry. Yeah, if you go to my website, www.davidtuckerow.com, you can go to the link that says Become a Donor. And when you click that link, you can sign up and become a registered bone marrow donor. And what they'll do is they'll send you a two, two swab tests, so for you and a family or a friend. And um, you just swab the inside of your cheek. It's very simple. Put it back in the plastic tube, send it back to them, all free of charge. They will run your DNA. And if you're a match instantly, they'll let you know. And if you're not, they'll put your DNA into a data bank. And when you are a match with somebody, they'll call upon you and let you know then. So it's, like I said, a very easy, painless process. They're going to put two needles in each of your arms. They're going to take blood from one arm, uh, filter it through the machine, and put it back into the other arm. So, like I said, it's not painful at all. Very painless. Cannot stress that enough. Painless. And and also, you know, on the website, on my website, davidtuckerow.com, it kind of gives you all the information that's needed. Like I said, and it tells you... um, all the information, and then, like I said, it, they'll send you two swab kits, and it's just a simple process from there. And so that's the only, is that the, the screening, or is there an additional screening process that people have to go through? That's it. That's, that's it. it. It's that's simple pretty extraordinary. Inside of, your cheek, inside of your cheeks, sending it back to them, it's that simple. So if everybody kind of said, you know what, I'm going to use my ability to save a life, mm-hmm. and went and did that, that would just be huge. Absolutely. It would, it, it, you know, if we could get everybody to do that, you, you know what? The the quality of life in this world would be so much better. Because well, you're getting people that are donating to save lives, and you're getting people that are, you know, receiving life. So, I mean, there's nothing but, you know, amazing happiness in that. And I, I'm just trying to get people around the world to kind of, you know, recognize the amazingness of that. And how are you keeping track of that? Do you, because I'm it's telling you, I'm going to sign up. I'm signing up right now. Thank okay? you. For I'm me, gonna... <laughs> it's just a matter of, you know, putting the word out there and then people coming back to me saying, you know what, I heard you speak on the radio and I went and signed up and became a bone marrow donor. And, you know, thank you. You know, I, I'm hoping to save somebody's life now. And uh, I've got the swab kit testing and I, I've just got all kinds of stuff, you know, people doing all kinds of things with it, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. That's really wonderful. Well, I, I meant what I said after the show. I'm definitely going to sign up. Go to your website and um, and sign up and get a kit, and I think that's pretty incredible, you know, knowing um, that each of us has that kind of gift that we can give to someone else I think is really powerful, and it's a, it's a gift to us, really, by you know, to do something like that. So let's talk about for a second, what was the most challenging aspect of, of this experience for you? 
probably, you know, the medication for me was the prednisone, especially the prednisone. You know, that 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 was the the most incredible drug I could have had, and it's the most detrimental drug I could have had. You know, it's the drug that kept me alive. It kept my immune system going because you know my immune system couldn't keep going. But because of it, you know, I gained like 130 pounds within the first month of being on it because I was on such a high dose. I got a disease called avascular necrosis where I've had my left shoulder replaced, mm. both of my hips replaced, my right knee replaced, and now I've got to get my right shoulder replaced. So you, you see it's kind of a funny drug where it, it kills me, but it keeps me alive at the same time. It just prolongs it. But, it, you know, I can't fault it, but at the same time I do fault it. You know, it's just one of those funny things that just kind of come with the territory. And I found a lot of catch-22s kind of come with this territory, you know. Um, you know, with, with this comes a lot of pain. And for me, you know, pain pills kind of came along with the territory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had to get help for that because, you know, I didn't know what else to do. But the pain was, you know, and it's still there with me every day because the avascular necrosis is a, you know, pretty pretty gnarly disease. And um, it, it's about managing the pain now in a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's been better that I've been able to manage it this way. But overall, you know, it, it's just been a lot of catch-22s with what I've been going through. No, I understand that. And we were talking about that earlier off the air. And I, I was sharing with you that I also uh, had very um, had my own medical problem. And I was, you know, being treated with a, a drug that they normally give to leukemia patients. And high, I also had a high dosages of intravenous uh, steroids. Gained a lot of weight, not quite as much as you, but, you know, for me, it was, you know, I became double the person over, you know, within a week. And um, the psychological um, also impact of these drugs is really not, you know, I, I don't think patients are supported as much as they should be in these cases because these drugs... They are healing, they are saving our lives, but they're also destroying other parts of, you know, as you mentioned, your physical body, but uh, what they do to you psychologically as well. Patients really need a lot of support around that, and it's just not happening. So if I can throw that out there to the medical world, uh, you know, I know myself, uh, I was, you know, at one point very suicidal when I was in the hospital, and um, that's something that concerned me because, you know, looking back, there was really no support for me other than threats that they were going to throw me in a mental institution. And that's that's really not what you need during moments like that. What you need is what your father gave you, that positive reinforcement that, you know, just to help you get through that moment so that um, you can hang in there while you're experiencing and, and going through all this pain. So, you know, I agree with you 100% on that. What, after going through all of this, David, what words of wisdom would you like to leave the listeners with today? Something that you discovered through your own experience that you feel can really give hope to others and help to others? Uh, oh, yeah, there's some things here. Um, one, my major thing that I love to tell everybody is if you think you have it bad, somebody else has it worse. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I just told you my story about what it is I go through. You know, I've had, you know, four major replacements. I've got a fifth one on the way. But for me, I know somebody else out there has it worse. And for me, it, it, that's just being positive, you know. And, and I, if I'm being positive, no matter what the situation, and as cliche as it sounds, works. I find writing, if you're going through something, you know, and you're having a lot of troubles, if you write out what you're going through, just leave it on a piece of paper 
and kind of go back to it maybe, you know, a few days later and just reread it and then just kind of see how far you've grown since then. I, I think writing is the most therapeutic tool in the world. And, and you know, writing my book with Marilyn Scott was the most therapeutic thing I could have done. So I highly recommend writing to everybody. No matter, you know, how silly it may sound, it's not. Just get your feelings out on paper. And, you know, it, you don't have to worry about them anymore because it's out of you. And just to, you know, donate bone marrow and to save a life and to be selfless, you know. I mean, there's no greater gift in the world than that of saving a life. And for me, you know, it, it just to tell everybody that it's such a painless, painless, painless process and that anybody can do it now and you never know whose life you can be saved. Mine was saved by a man on the other side of the world, had no idea who I was, but his generosity and his selflessness said, give it to him. And I'm still here because of it. So I'm here to create more success stories. And I hope everybody out there goes to www.davidtuckerow.com and clicks to become a bone marrow donor. That's wonderful, David. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on the program today. And thank you for sharing your life story with us. Um, I wish you continued good health. And um, I, I hope that a million people sign up. Uh, to donate bone marrow and I'm just going to put that number on my wall and let's see what happens Um, and please keep in touch with us let me know how you're doing and and come back and visit us again let us know how the donations are going thank you and and also if people want to get my book they can go to www.davidtuckerow.com and I will sign a hardback copy for you you can also go to amazon.com BarnesandNoble.com, iTunes, and Kobo.com, and you can get eback and hard or er, soft paperback version on there. Great, thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. This thank is, you. I really again appreciate all that you've shared with us today, David. And um, this is Kathy Barrett from Behind the Curtain. It is an honor and a privilege to have you as a listener. So for all of you who might be struggling with health challenges, emotional challenges, or life challenges, please know that you are not alone. No matter how difficult life might be for you, there is an ocean of hearts to comfort and inspire you. And I am committed to delivering guests and show topics designed to bring you out of the shadows of suffering and isolation and into the light of hope. Until next time, peace and gratitude.